to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. everyone and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host Lori LeBay and I hope you enjoyed our opening song. It's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people. And maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. Reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Now, it is World Alzheimer's Month in September, but today, the 21st, is actually World Alzheimer's Day. You might want to check out Alzheimer's Disease International. They just launched their 2021 report on the journey of getting diagnosed, and it's quite fascinating. I want to give a shout out to a few organizations. So one, of course, is the Dementia Map. There you can find all kind of, kinds of resources, tools, and products anytime you want. You don't have to sign in. We've kept it really, really simple for you. I want to give a shout out to Project Care, which is doing a study about caregivers and care partners to see what their stress level is. You can go to care during COVID at rice.edu to get more information. And then Arthur Senior Care sponsors Arthur's Memory Cafe, which we do virtually every second and fourth Wednesday of the month. You are welcome to join us as well as Brookdale North Oaks does a caregiver connect, which we do in person. And that is the last Wednesday of each month at 10 a.m. You can again reach out to me for more information regarding that. I also want to just recognize that Compassion and Choices is having a virtual event on October 6th at 7 p.m. Eastern, that's 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific Time. If you uh, want to learn more about end-of-life choices, and support that movement, I would recommend you go there. They do actually have a tool specifically for dealing with dementia. And then there is a project called the Brain Donor Project. It's braindonor.org. Again, we're not going to find a cure if the scientists and researchers can't review what's going on in our brains. So they need both healthy and diseased brains. Last, I want to give a shout out for an event called Together for Dementia. It's going to be held online on November 2nd. It is a conference which is coordinated by the Dementia Research Charity Brace. And we're going to hear from the Footbar Walker and we will be right back. 
Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle? to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Foot Bar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Foot Bar Walker. Well, hi, everyone. I am I'm so thrilled you are joining us today. We have Mary Crescenzo with us, and she is a pioneer in art engagement. And this is going to be a really fun topic. And she works a lot with people with Alzheimer's and dementia. She is a master teacher and artist and public speaker on how caregivers and family and friends can really find an alternative way to connect with loved ones um, through the use of watercolors and music and movement and storytelling. So again, we're going to have a really interesting and I think uplifting conversation today. Mary also provides workshops in creative writing for respite and relaxation for caregivers, which I think is really important as well. So welcome, Mary. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Having me with you today. Well, I am thrilled that you're here. I always ask everybody, my first question is, have you been personally touched by dementia? So if you can share, if you have anyone in your family or circle of friends, that's always really helpful. Yes, I have uh, at a distance uh, aunt and cousin that had lived uh, far away from where I was uh, when I began my work um, as a master teaching, as a teaching artist. I did not have anyone in my family that had this. So I think I was able to come into it objectively and with the tools that I had as a teaching artist. And then I became deeply um, touched, involved in the lives of every person that I worked with. So I have kind of both of those worlds when I began. Why don't you tell us, you know, what is in um, arts engagement? What does that really mean? Well, Arts engagement, you notice that there's an S at the end of art, so it's arts. First of all, it's not just visual art, it's music, movement, storytelling, um, all those those things together. And um, it's an interactive way of communicating and connecting, an alternative way than traditional ways that we know, that really goes deep into the inner self, the, uh, the creative self, the emotional self that we all have, even those persons with Alzheimer's. So it's interactive, uh, it's self-expression, and it's an engagement. It's not just like a rote activity that might be uh, rote, coloring in between the lines, uh, non-individualized. This taps into the individual and their creative spirit. So that's what arts engagement, engaging through forms of art. 
I love that. You know, I, I think so often we think that there's a right and a wrong way to do something. And yet we all know the joy and art is in the eye of the beholder. But there doesn't there seems to be a lack of belief in the heart and in the soul of most people that that's really true when they're asked to participate. There's, I think, this underlining worry of judgment and and yet I think there's such freedom when you can get to that space of, of letting go and just do whatever is inside of you. Let it come out. Exactly. Exactly. And the good news is that anyone can use these eight ways to communicate and transform the life of your loved one and your own using these, these tools. So, um, yeah, when we're younger, sometimes someone might tell us, a parent, a sibling, a teacher, uh, oh, you can't paint, you can't sing. Uh, and that really stays with us. And art should be the opposite. It should be the way we express ourselves. So um, through my book, The Planet Alzheimer's Guide, and through my work throughout these decades, my job is to say, someone told you that? Not true. You can do this, and I'll show you how. And even persons with Alzheimer's have that, as you know, they have that emotional content still there. And this taps into that. Let's yes. talk about the, the eight ways that arts engagement can really help and, and also touch on, can anyone do this like from children to older family members and friends as well? Who can participate? You know, that's a great question. Everyone can participate. It could be a relative. It could be a good friend that comes to visit. Uh, it could be uh, f- family members, including children. This is an intergenerational experience that we can create. And kids are great at this. They still have that inhibition to create, to make something from nothing. When they come into a setting, and I, I say it's ideal to bring two or three pe- people into the space with the person with Alzheimer's. When kids come in, they're not awkward. They don't feel awkward. They don't ask questions. They just dive right in. And that is a common ground that they kind of create tone for, for the joy of art between different ages, because we have this common spirit. So yes, everyone can participate. I wouldn't go for a giant crowd of people, Mm -hmm. of course, for confusion, but um, yes, absolutely. And kids, they will, they will lead you. And the person with Alzheimer's, they will lead you also by the input that they give you. So yes, families, friends, it can be done one-on-one. And also if, if a, a, an arts person, uh, an activity person in a facility wants to use these techniques, they can even use it with a small group. So um, yes, absolutely. You know, I remember a time when I, my mom really wanted to watch our daughter and she was really young and my mom had early onset and we were, we were kind of nervous about that whole thing. And then, you know, I, I told my husband, I said, we've got to make this work for her. She really wants to be a grandma. She wants to have that space and she's not going to drive, you know, she's not going to cook. I'll drop off a McDonald's or whatever with them. And they would just sit and play. And they would color. And uh, the first time I remember coming to pick Danielle back up, my daughter, they were coloring at the dining room table. And I walked in the door and they, my daughter was, I don't know, like kindergarten, four or five years old. And they both held up their pictures. 
you couldn't tell who was prouder. And it just melted my soul. I mean, there was just this connection with them and they were having so much fun. And they, they were just both filled, you know, just beaming with pride. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, I am so glad we did this. For, yes. for all of us, because it was beneficial to the two of them, but for me as a daughter, to be able to see that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, um, it's a natural and it's an in the moment process. And children are very good at that. And persons with Alzheimer's are in the moment. And they teach us as well as children teach us uh, where we need to find the places where we, we breathe and be with mm-hmm. them and in our own lives. Can you kind of give us a little bit of, of overview, like with these eight different ways? And is that in your book? So yes, each chapter, there are eight chapters, are a different way that uses a certain form of art to engage in this genre or this type of art. So there's one on painting and drawing. Uh, there's one on music and movement. There's one on storytelling, which includes rhyme, poems, using photographs to elicit stories, whatever those stories might be. They might seem disjointed to us. They might seem imaginary. They may not follow the personal photographs we have uh, or books that have photographs, but it's a way to interact. Also, I talk about how we can uh, share this with professionals who work with our loved ones and how they can get involved in this. The more they see what we can do through art, the more they'll understand the validity of it and also get involved in it in one, in one form or another. I also talk about going to museums uh, or if that's not possible for whatever reason, uh, many museums have their exhibits, especially now, because many of us are a little bit cautious to go to different places, they have their exhibits online. And you can, through, the, through viewing famous artworks, you can start conversations. Through poems that were prominent during that person's era, you might read it. You might be surprised. They might start reciting back to you. So that's another category. I guess just jump from one back and forth to the other. There's also a chapter for caregivers. And it talks about how a caregiver can find respite, relaxation, even revelation about themselves and their experience just by taking a few moments, even if it's five minutes out of your very busy and challenging day. And just doing some of the prompts in the book, the open-ended suggestions to just get your feelings, emotions out on paper. There's so many ways to do that. And it is very cathartic. It's just a way to step away from the routines and kind of give yourself some self-care through art, in this case, creative writing. You know, I get together with uh, some girlfriends that I worked with like 35 years ago, and we've been Zooming. We get together once a month, and everybody's in different stages of life and and caring in in their life. Um, But several of them did the Bob Ross painting, and they were shocked at what they did. And we were shocked at what they did. I mean, it was incredible. And I remember one gal, just like you said, she was told in school she loved art. 
And her teacher said, you are not an artist. Step away. I mean, it was just, it was, and she said it was devastating. So all her life, she's been fearful. And this kind of opened up the door for her. You know, I've always liked art too. And I have to admit that in the beginning of COVID, I went out and I bought paint and brushes and canvases and the whole nine yards, and I haven't opened them up. I, I haven't made the time, but I used to love to paint. And I, and I was, uh, I mean, I painted weird. I painted like with toothpicks. I was really detailed and stuff. And I'd love to get back to that. But I, I think unconsciously, there's a fear in me to do that. And, and I know better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet it's there because it's something I know I want to do, but I haven't made the time. And yet I, I watch my grandchildren paint and they're just like, you know, they, they, they just love creating that whole energy and that atmosphere and, you know, what it does for their soul to just get in there and, and do stuff. And it's pretty incredible what they come up with. So I, I do think this is a, a, a really good point about self-care. And so this is something you can do alone if you want, because sometimes people just want that that peace, but it's, you can also find that peacefulness. I think doing it with your loved one is well, just let go of trying to control what they're doing, you know, stop being the teacher and just let them explore. And I I think that's one of the hardest things for, for most care partners, because we, you know, oh my gosh, we don't want to make a mess because that's one more thing that I have to take care of that I don't have time to do instead of enjoying the moment watching the creativity. And then if there's a mess, you don't view it as a mess because you've gotten this bonus package out of this time. Right. Right. It helps our soul too to participate. It puts us on an equal ground with them, Mm -hmm. uh, which is something that we usually don't experience. We're both painting, we're both singing. And now we're, we're equal in what this, what is what we're creating. I want to make a suggestion to you sit down with your grandchildren and paint with them. I know. Jump in there with them. And, and also um, I just thought about this as you were speaking, I did forget about one of the chapters and I think this is important one too. I think that um, if you can share the work, for example, um, I had worked with persons in facilities as well as one-on-one and we would have what I call a culminating event we would have an exhibit after maybe two months of uh, sessions and we would frame the works very simply, very inexpensively. We would hang them on the walls and in accessible places. And we would invite family members to come to the exhibit and to see the members um, of the families look and discuss the work with their loved ones. It's a whole, it's another whole setting. And to watch the pride on the faces of the Alzheimer's artists, whether they even were verbal or not, showing the work was just a way to validate this process. And also we need to, I believe, afford the dignity to these people and the individuality and acknowledge who they are and what they can do and their creative spirit. And by showing the work is a great way to do that. And if you're not, you know, if you're working one-on-one, even in your home, um, share the artwork, hang it up in your living room, hang it up in the room where your loved one is and sleeps 
and share it with the family. I mean, ultimately the artwork belongs to the artist, but someday this work can be something that can be, can have the person live. That's what artwork does. Um, all kinds of art, whether it's a recording or a visual art, we are mortal, but artwork is immortal and it lives forever. And that person lives in that creativity forever. It can be passed down through families. Also the journal, the, the creative writing I was speaking of, I'd like to return to that. You don't have to show anyone this. This can be your own private world, but you might choose to share it in when you're gone with your family. You can write about in it your experience as a caregiver, or you can write about your dog or your kitchen or um, anything just to let, let it come out. And again, it becomes a legacy of your experience. So I just wanted to talk about sharing work, exhibiting work, and uh, giving it the value that it's due. Well, you know, I love your comment about sharing because one of the things that sometimes I get frustrated with in senior housing is they have these decorators come in and everything is beautiful on the walls. And it's like, who are you decorating for? You're really decorating for the public, not for necessarily the people there. And you have an opportunity of a blank canvas on a wall to be able to do these art exhibits to to show families as they're touring through, to show social workers, this is art by our people. This is engagement. And because so many of those people, even if they're in the industry, don't think it's possible, you know, that somebody can uh, perform and, and create. And that's something I don't think any of us lose. We have to adapt different ways to do it. I mean, if someone's, you know, paralyzed, uh, there's still different ways to be able to create art. If it's through technology or whatever it might be um, there, you know, you've seen these painters with their toes. It doesn't have to stop. So I, I would really like to see more of that in senior housing instead of there's I think sometimes there's a, a shame to that. And I've heard that from activity and, and uh, life, uh, life enrichment director saying, well, we're told we can't put that on because it's, it, it, you know, it takes away from our look. And it's like, who have you created this environment for? Absolutely. I mean, you know, but, but that is, I think, sometimes forgotten, not in all communities, but in many. Okay. And like you said, they're so proud to be able to see that or, if someone has moved on or passed on, they can still remember a friend. When it comes to music and, and movement, I mean, I know I have videos of my mom singing with a, um, an entertainer, and I can have the worst day of my life, and I go and I watch that two-minute clip, and I feel better. It fills me. Yes, yes, and that's why it's important, as you did, to record them singing, mm -hmm. to record them telling a story record them, um, you know, very subtly uh, responding to a photo, whether it's personal or otherwise, and just to have that archived. Because again, as I say, we are mortal, but art allows us to live. Um, mm -hmm. And I think in terms of the uh, facilities and administrations, they have a challenge, challenging job to do as well. But I think it's a matter of education. And that's why this one of my chapters says you know, as a caregiver, you're part of this team. This is a network of team, doctors, uh, social workers. You're part of this team and you can share with them mm -hmm. the way they share with you what you know from doing these art experiences. 
And the more they understand the value of this, the more then we can maybe go to those next steps of saying, let's put this artwork up on the walls. Yeah. Well, and even, uh, you know, and this was a long time ago when I was, I I worked with um, developmentally disabled, um, you know, basically out of high school. And there was one gal there who was just an incredible photographer. And she did all these black and whites of the residents and stuff. And even back then, there was hesitation to put them up. This was before HIPAA and all of that stuff. But, you know, it's worth an ask for a family. Could we put this portrait up? I mean, this is this is a wall of honor. This isn't making fun of anybody. This is capturing them in the moment. And I, and I also remember going in with my mom and taking some pictures. And what I found was residents who had their heads down and their eyes closed and really weren't engaged at all. They would hear me say, you know, say cheese. And they're, you know, they would lift their heads up and they would smile and they would look around And, you know, it really didn't even make any difference if you had film in your camera or not, but they knew the value of someone wanting to take their picture was actually going to be engaged with them. They had to look at them. They had to focus. They saw something beautiful about them and it would change the whole room. At the whole room. It's right. It's that aura. Um, That's why at the end of my book, in in the middle of it also, I actually have about over 40 photographs um, of not just persons with Alzheimer's making art, Mm -hmm. whether painting, singing, telling a story, moving, but also uh, photographs of them actually engaging with children, with administrators, with aides, um, and also of these exhibits itself. And when, when I look at these pictures, I mean, it just, like you said, it just warms my heart. It brings joy to me to see the smiles on their faces. And um, I was, when I began all of this, I would walk into a space and I would be ready to work. And I'm thinking there's got to be more. I know there's more uh, than just being in front of a television or just sitting there. There's got to be more that we can, um, we can share. And so as I began the work and many, many years ago, it just kept validating the concept that this can happen and it can bring everyone levels of joy and acknowledgement and um, dignity, as I said, in terms of what we all can share. And again, in doing all of that, you're educating, you're raising awareness of the possibilities. Um, Those are conversations that sometimes can't be talked through. People need the visuals to really see the difference. You know, I mean, I can describe my mom in her end stages engaging with the music where she couldn't really sing. Um, You know, but yet when somebody was singing and playing the guitar next to her, her hands started moving, her feet started moving, her eyes opened up brightly, she was smiling, she she would get some of the phrases out, she would giggle. And it was just, I mean, just melt your heart stuff, you know, and people see that. And I've shown her, I, I've shown her videos at conferences and things and the whole room changes. I mean, they start giggling and they're like, that was the best thing. That was so cool to see your mom, you know, and it's like, it, it, this can be anybody's mom. This can be anyone's child. This is, this is just a space we need to embrace, I think, throughout our lives. And we, I was talking with somebody the other day about this, that 
you know, as we age, we, we get to this professional organization and, you know, what, what gets chopped out is fun. Um, what gets chopped out is spontaneity. What gets chopped out is trying something new because we're afraid of, of failure and none of this, you know, you can't fail at it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's personal and, you know, everyone has their own opinions with this stuff. It's just, uh, it's an incredible journey. And I'm so thankful that you're doing this. Have you brought your stuff on tour at all? Um, uh, actually, book? yes. Um, some, some years ago, um, when I was working with, um, when I was living in Oklahoma doing this project with, um, and that's where I met my mentor, Mel Lee, uh, who got me involved in this. Uh, we actually took an exhibit to the National Alzheimer's Conference in Washington, D.C. And I think uh, maybe the time has come to um, have another exhibit of, of this work. Yeah. You know, I, I think when you mentioned the idea of our ages and, and when we get older, um, you know, the general concept, although, of course, it's changing now, is whether we mean to do this or not, the older adults kind of become invisible. And, and then if you have uh, some kind of a disease or disorder or, uh, or now you're, you're not just a well older adult who's kind of being pushed to the side, but now you're a person with uh, mental or physical challenges. Um, it's even more, just like, well, we don't want to talk about this. We, and this, this is changing. And the more it changes, the more we can see the vitality on whatever level older persons have. And guess what? They can teach us a lot. I mean, I say us, I'm an older adult myself, but yeah, yeah but um, yeah, there's so much to be learned on both ends. So, um, yeah, we've got to kind of move away from that just because we have this creative spirit. We have a spirit alive in us and um, it, it, it should soar and be, uh, be given the opportunity to shine. Oh, I agree. I mean, I look at different cultures like the, the Indian culture, you know, it's, it's about the wisdom of the elders. You know, if they've got a problem, where do they go? You know, they, they look up who's, who's lived the longest, who's, who's got the most knowledge of the twists and turns of life. And, um, and I love like the intergenerational concept when you, I mean, that's just magic. I mean, that is just absolute magic on both ends to, to watch that occur. And I think when we have the older generation and the younger generation, it teaches that sandwich generation a lot. Um, a, a lot because you you can't ignore the spirit and the energy of the interaction. I mean, it's impossible. Um, you know, like we said earlier, it just kind of spreads throughout the room, and it makes us also realize um, when we are kind of the damper to things. Mm-hmm. I'll use I'll use an example again, and, and this can happen in any situation in life. But <laughs> my 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 daughter and my mom were playing one time. And I, uh, they were, and they were just having a great time and you, you could see it on their faces and they were just giggling. And I can't remember what the heck they were doing. And I walked up to the door frame. I didn't even walk into the space 
And in a nanosecond, they both looked up like, oh, we're in trouble. Like they were doing something and, and it was just that presence. And maybe they were doing something that, you know, I wouldn't have recommended, but in seeing what they did, it was beautiful, you know, kind of like when somebody gives somebody a piece of chocolate they shouldn't have, or, yeah. or they're painting and something might get messy, even though it's not really going to, it's all those preconceived things. And that mm-hmm. was a, that was an eye opener for me of not even realizing my nonverbal communications of knock it off. Exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned like uh, worrying about creating a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, throughout um, my description of the ways to do this, I'm also offering practical things. Um, that's like part of my do's and don'ts, which are at the end of each chapter. Um, so it tells you like, okay, let's, here's how to cover the table. Uh, but maybe don't use this material, but you can use something you can tape on uh, under it. Um, so there's some really practical steps because again, it might seem overwhelming, but it's really, they're just simple ways to things you should do and maybe not to do to make this a, a great experience. Like there's things that you might not think of, for example, Um, If you're painting and you want to create a palette, it might be better to see if you can get uh, styrofoam or if not styrofoam is very hard to recycle. But if you can go to a thrift store and get an old plate that you can wash and use again, but a square plate, because when a person with Alzheimer's or dementia sees a round plate, they might start to associate it with food. Square plates are a little unusual or uh, a cup a cup to have the water in that you're going to clean. Um, Make it something, maybe it's a can. So it doesn't look like something that they might want to reach and drink. So throughout this, I'm offering very practical things that you may not think of, but once you see them, you think, okay, that's great. So now I can prepare to make this experience happen in the most positive and practical, easiest way that I can, which makes the whole experience easier. Yeah, one of the one of the uh, tips I'll throw in there was I loved going to the dollar store and just getting um, plastic tablecloths. And so all I had to do is fold everything up and throw it out. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have to scrub anything down. I didn't have to worry it was going to get on the table, you know, those types of things. And, you know, or they've got the butcher, ta- you know, um, paper that you can get. I mean, there's lots of different ways. I mean, you go even to the, you know, out dining and a lot of them have, you know, the white um, paper tablecloths where they, you know, mm-hmm. we're just going to make this simple, but we Which don't. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, think of that stuff first, you know, as soon as that triggers with you, because there's lots of things out there. And I love, I love that you mentioned, you know, be careful that someone doesn't, you know, doesn't maybe mistake something for food or for drink. I think that was, that's really brilliant. Um, and, and color differentiation in terms of what the background of the table is going to be versus what they're working on, um, mm-hmm. knowing that eyesight changes and depth perception, right. all of those types of things, you know, right. are really important as well. Wow. Yeah. What a lot of great things. Love uh, tips. Um, yeah. All of those things, they seem like small, but then they really help to make the experience successful. Yep. Well, if you can get that worry out of your mind of, oh, what a mess, 
because otherwise the whole time you're doing this is like, I really don't want to be here because I'm going to have this mess to clean up. You know, right. yeah, even with your hands, just, you know, watercolor are washable. If you're going to mm-hmm. use markers, which is work, mm-hmm. washable markers, yep. Um, yep. all of that just makes life easier. And yet it doesn't take away from the experience, which is really what it's all about. Yeah, what it should be about. It shouldn't be about our, be. our to-do list on that. I wanted to talk a little bit about music and movement, too, because that's something, you know, my mom, of course, adored music. And movement, as she progressed, you know, we, we had to change how we moved together, how we danced. And it was very... Um, it was very simple and very easy from, you know, standing up and physically dancing because she liked that too. You know, she got in a wheelchair and then I, you know, we kind of rock and roll with her in the wheelchair and she loved that too. That wasn't really comfortable. So she'd sit still and we'd kind of do a hand dance. And then at the very end, we did just a pinky dance to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the levels of intimacy grew higher as as her as she was not able to do more and that was something I wasn't really expecting but it was really quite beautiful um, because you had to be so present and to recognize the need for those changes instead of you know still trying to force her to do something she wasn't capable of doing Um, do you see that uh, adaption do you talk about that in your in your books Yes, I do. Um, You can change the way you do things and still get the same effect. If if people need to sit, then they can, you can give them scarves or hats and they can move them in different ways. You can model this. uh, If it starts, if these um, abilities start to be, like you said, smaller, more intimate, you can still clap. You can, you can uh, touch each other's hands there you can sway there are ways to adapt as you sound like you did just beautifully and you'll be surprised um at the fact that it's still interactive and becomes more intimate you'll find that all of these exercises just see what happens just see what happens be open open to that um and i think that you'll be rewarded in the sense of a gratification, in the sense of, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're together, even if it's in a different way than we might have been together before, which I know is so hard for caregivers. But if we could just forget, it, um, not forget, but switch the way um, we, we interact and let, let your loved one guide you. I I like to say that Alzheimer's is a dance in a certain way because they will lead. And in, when it comes to this interaction, what they can do, what they can't do and will follow. And then it kind of reverses. We lead and they follow. And that is, as you say, an intimate connection. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think it's all about really consciously caring and, and focusing on and focusing on what the other person needed. And I used to focus when I first started on what they needed by developing a list of what I needed to do. What I need to do and focusing on their needs are two different things. But I think we see them as one originally, and then we get really focused on the task. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
you know, I have a thing for caregivers. I, I call it um, the CAR E givers, and CAR stands for conscious awakening of your relationship. And the E giver is about the emotional giving. You know, are they peaceful? Are they joyful? Are they engaged? You know, focus on those things. And not only will they be more comfortable, but you'll be a lot more comfortable too, because now you're identifying joy instead of looking for problems. Mm -hmm. So you're going to more easily be able to see their accomplishments, you know, when you shift to that, to that mode, which is exactly what you're teaching, you know, in your book, your book just sounds amazing for both families and, um, and professionals in the industry. I think that this is really important. I've seen a big shift in terms of this. This sounds kind of goofy because you've been doing this so long I would imagine you kind of were embattled in the, in some areas in the beginning of people like, what in the world are you talking about lady? Yes. Of course I can't do this, you know? And, and so it's like push, push, push. And now there's kind of this awakening and this, this opening up, we're starting to see actual research studies, you know, in engagement, in social activities that were really poo-pooed before. If it wasn't a pill, it wasn't going to be helpful, you know, and that, that's a beautiful thing that's changing Um, because then it gives, it gives families and professionals and those, you know, living with early onset, um, much more possibility to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In my book, I have those stories about when I first started, uh, you mentioned outside of high school, you had that job outside of high school. I was kind of thrown into an arts and crafts room in a, in a nursing home. And I was an art major. I just like, okay, let's do this. You know, my innocence and my naivete led, almost led me to be open. Um, and, oh, yeah, there were lots of, um, like you said, like push. And, again, it's all about educating, showing what can be done. Um, yeah, but yeah, as you say, it's growing now. There are actually, there is a profession, a recognized profession called teaching artists, and they are trained uh, to, to take both of those worlds and, and meld them to work with people, not just with those with Alzheimer's or dementia, but just in community settings, which is something I've also done with older adults, with um, persons with uh, different abilities. So I think, I think it's moving, you know, little bit, little by little. Um, you also mentioned that the world, so to speak, that they live in, that we have to enter. And people ask me, well, why do you call it the planet Alzheimer's guide? And it's because over these years, I've seen it as a mysterious and a totally not understood world that when I enter it, I enter that world. I'm a visitor. I'm not an inhabitor. And when I do enter that world, there's a, there's a language in this world. There's a way of being in this world, not in the world that I live in. And so when I come in, like going to a foreign country, you know, I have to kind of adjust to and respect that place, that planet, that world. And if I do that, then as you say, there's going to be a lot more positive uh, moments and joy as opposed to trying to fight that world that is not the one that we live in every day. 
Oh, exactly. Now, you had also mentioned journaling, which I know a lot of people go, I'm not a writer, you know, <laughs> that sounds like work to me. But, uh, you know, I, but yet I have seen so many people go, okay, I'll try it. I'll just try it. And all of a sudden they're writing haikus that they didn't even know what a haiku was, different types of poetry, or they're doing little cartoons with some of their stuff. I mean, it, it just expands. And I think journaling is really important for, um, for a couple different ways. And I think some people say, well, you know, just write what you're grateful for to kind of change your mindset. But I think I think you also have to be honest that, you know, life wasn't great, perfect every day before dementia and it sure as heck isn't now. Mm -hmm. So acknowledge those feelings, put them down and know you're not alone and you don't have to share it. But, but I think you will also find by doing that, you'll feel empowered and you might decide you are a writer, that your stories are important because I think once you start writing them down, it's easier to verbally share them in a safe group. And, you know, people get inspired by, by sharing stories. Absolutely. And yeah. And there's I mean, all different ways, you know, you can do a, a full published book like you did, or someone could do a blog, or, you know, they've got these little things for 99 cents, you can buy on Amazon. I mean, there's no limit in terms of how you give that out. Right. Uh, or and, and it's perfectly fine if you don't want to right. again it's not about judgment right we all we all have creativity in us we're all an artist of a sort yes there are people in the world who have been god-given or whichever way it came to them high levels of talent in different areas but that doesn't mean that we can't explore those areas for ourselves and yes people oh journaling that's why i like to call it more creative writing for caregivers because you can, it's so it's such a freeing place to be. You can write a letter to someone that you'll never give to them, but get that out. You can write a, a letter in, that's one of the prompts to a person who still lives on this world, in this world, or someone who is deceased. You can get out your feelings. You can, but then you can just write about the bird out the window. Just stop thinking about everything that you've been dealing with as a caregiver, there's so much you can do and it doesn't have to be in any special order. You can doodle on the side. Just let that be your safe place. Mm -hmm. where it's just you and your words and you just by releasing them, it's such a great feeling. When you close the book, put it aside. It just feels good. It's like riding a bike. When you first start, it's awkward. You think you're going to fall off. It's, and then after that, for the rest of your life, you can do it. And it's easy. You don't even have to think about it. Give it a try. Do yeah. I've had a lot of people um, submit to my blog, um, poetry and articles that they've written stories. And, you know, they, at first they're kind of scared and then they are so empowered by the comments and the likes and, and things because people resonate with that. And I can't wait to launch our new site because it's going to make it even easier for people to be able to find stuff like that. I know for me, it was just a huge release to be able to write. And I didn't know that that would be a benefit until I took the risk of trying it. Absolutely. 
And, yeah. and that actually is how I even got into this space was, you know, being encouraged. I was selling real estate and being encouraged by senior housing that I did a lot of work with saying, you know, you need to tell your story. And I started a blog and I didn't know if anyone would see it or not. And then all of a sudden people around the world were resonating with some of my personal stories. And that's how I got so deep into this space mm-hmm. was by, you know, that was a confirmation that I wasn't alone. It was really what it was for me that more and more people need to share their stories. And through the arts, there's so many different ways to tell a story, to share a story, to engage another in the story. It's pretty cool. Now, do you have any like do's and don'ts, you know, when you're trying to engage somebody with dementia in various arts? Yeah, there are a bunch, but I'll, I'll throw out a few of them. Uh, do not bring food or drink into the setting. It becomes, um, I mean, if someone needs a drink of water, it'll be nearby. Mm-hmm. But when you bring food or drink into the setting, it kind of acts like a reward. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, uh, if you paint this, I'm going to give you that. Not that you say that, but it kind of becomes that. Like in schools, that's another thing. I used to teach school and I would never like give away like M&Ms and things because like, okay, then I'm not going to do the work unless I get that, you know? So the focus should be on the work. So do not bring food into the setting. Um, do a project, you know, after grooming, after breakfast, but not too close to lunch. Certainly um, you'll be less successful for the most part in a sundowning time when it's dusk, etc. Um, don't just create like this as a one-off. Okay, I'm going to try it. Okay, then don't do it again. If you feel like, oh my God, that was overwhelming, um, continue to do it. Include it in your loved one's daily routines, even if it's not every day. Maybe if it's every other day or once a week. Um, and that will help to create that kind of order that works quite well routine-wise for persons with Alzheimer's or dementia. So um, don't just do it once, kind of make it part of the routines. Um, I would, when you're, when you're looking at artwork, you, you might want to say visual artwork, you know, you could say, point to what they're doing and say, um, what do you see there? Rather than is that a dog or is that a face? Like let them be open to um, what they're doing to share it with you. And, uh, you know, you can guide slightly in the beginning, their hand maybe to show them what to do, but then don't paint on their, on their painting. (laughs) Don't draw for them. Um, This even applies, as I mentioned, when I was an elementary school teacher, I would never draw on their work because it it violates what they're doing. So just kind of let them like guide them and they'll get the hang of it. They'll be dipping in the paint and in the water before you know it. I mean, I've had groups that would work for an hour on paintings or in singing for long periods of time. Um, And also just made me think of this side thing. Um, You'll start to realize that There's a style, a voice is what they call it in the art world, a very specific way that your loved one will sing or draw or tell a story. And 
when you see their work, you can see the pattern. You can recognize their work, even a person who doesn't know them. If there's an exhibit, I can tell you, or a person can say, those two look like they've been done by the same person. So that's a, that's a fascinating thing, that their style, they have a style of working. Um, see, any other do's and don'ts? Don't get discouraged. Try it again. This is a new thing for you, perhaps. And um, don't tell yourself, oh, I don't know how to sing. I don't know how to paint. I've never done this. Be open to this. And um, just kind of redirect, do redirect what they're doing. Um, I had this lovely woman that I worked with who would paint these beautiful squiggles like swans. And then she once in a while, she'd take out her hearing aid and wanted to paint her hearing aid. So we, and I always worked with uh, uh, an aid, um, somebody who was there from the facility. So if there was a problem, uh, they'd be there for it, emergency. And uh, I asked, could we just take their, her hearing aids out for now? Because she keeps pulling them out and painting them. It was a nonverbal uh, exercise, painting. She didn't mind. She's painting anyway. There's no talking once you get started. So um, redirect if there's some kind of direction that they want to go in. Just play it by ear. Listen to what your loved one is showing you and telling you. Um, that's a do. And there's a whole list for each chapter so you don't feel overwhelmed. It's kind of a review of what of what it explains in, in the chapter itself. I like when you pointed out about the hearing aid because, you know, I did a, um, a program with people with dementia and showing their work. And they all talked about feeling purposeful, but calm. Mm-hmm. And the, just this calmness. And I think, you know, if you're in a group environment and there's chatter going on, that can pull you away from your creativity and focus. So that makes a ton, a ton of sense. I know some people will have music on and that can, you know, get them going and stuff as well. The food, I I think, is such a natural for activities so often that, you know, we just have food with these things. And yet that makes so much sense because you don't want somebody feeling degraded or they didn't do enough, you know, to get a treat. And I loved when you talked about the way to ask, you know, what is that painting? Is, is that a, is that a doc? What, what, you know, I mean, I can just see people doing that. Right. <laughs> and, Judging what it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know I catch myself doing that even with my grandkids and stuff. And I have to phrase that differently. Mm-hmm. And then when they do tell you there, there's this expressiveness that goes with it. And it's like, well, of course, how could I have not seen that? You know, <laughs> exactly. And you remind me of a very, a really good do that I want to share with you. When they, you think they're finished or you kind of get the sense that they're finished or they kind of make it sound like they're finished, there's nothing on the paper, you might say, oh, can we put something up in this corner? That's one of the hardest things for artists to decide, even singers, like, have I finished writing, writing this song? Do I have finished this painting? But in doing that, you might want to ask them, what is the title of this? What is this about? And then you get sometimes the most profound statement you've never expected them to say that is so telling, like, that's my brother. And like, okay. So always when the painting is dry, write it down on the back of the painting. You can also ask them to sign the painting. Now we know 
that there are various limitations in terms of writing mm-hmm. signature itself, but that's okay. And that little left-hand corner, someplace a little bit up further, so you can frame it about a half inch up. Say, can you put your name here? You don't know what you're going to get. But at that moment, that is their signature. I think that's wonderful advice. I think back to when my daughter was a teenager and her and I weren't getting along all that great. We took a painting class together just through a craft store. And, you know, we both, she, oh, I had like drag her in because she didn't want to go, you know, oh, that's just how dumb, you know, and we both painted our pictures and then I went and I had them framed. And then on mine, I had, I don't know, some kind of little phrase that I put in, um, captured a moment of time. And to me, that was just so important for us to have captured that moment in time. And I think that that is real relevant when you're, again, when you're dealing with someone with dementia or anybody you know, we have to be conscious about capturing those moments because they're quite beautiful. And like you said, art, art can live on forever. You know, I'll, I'll never throw out those paintings. You know, she would, she probably would. And it's just like, no, this meant a lot to me. Do you still have them? I mean, in the sense of that. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, are they hanging somewhere or I'd love to know her reaction now that she's older, you know, her looking back at this, a different perspective. She still doesn't think her picture was all that great, you know? And I mean, I spent a lot of money getting them framed. So they, 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 they look better, you know, (laughs) framed (laughs) and things too. Um, But it was, it was just important. And they were very different pictures, you know, and hers was, kind of a white background with blue flowers and, and mine was kind of deep golden with a base with flowers in it and stuff. And, but yet it was just, it was where we were at and it was a, it was a healing moment. And I think a lot of families can use those healing moments as well. If you admit it or not, not everybody is caring for someone that they have a, a good relationship with, and there can be, you know, great reasons for that, but this can be a time to heal through that as well. Absolutely. And those, those, um, you can put aside those, those feelings, positive or negative, whatever they might be, uh, as you specifically mentioned, because the art is not about that, that has doesn't come to play in this Mm -hmm. comes to play is the moment, the present, the tools, the materials, what creates what grows, and there's no room for that. And you know, we all need a space with our loved ones, any of our loved ones, where we're not dealing with those everyday things or the stuff that has in our history, just need those times. It's so valuable to open that space up. And like you said, it's a healing time. Again, it's something you can capture because moments are moments, but what you really capture in your heart is the emotion. And and that is even as the disease goes with somebody with dementia, they still have those emotional reactions. And a lot of times we're not picking up on the cues of what's triggering those things. It might not be who's in the room that's bothering them. It might remind them of something that happened years and years in the past that gave them great discomfort. And so understanding the the emotional memory within us is is very strong. And that, that goes for anybody. And, and we have to recognize that more because those become more important as we age and as we see changes on multiple different levels, healthy or not. Yeah. Another do that comes to mind when you mention that is, okay, you have a painting that has been done. 
mm-hmm. or you just sang a song, or you did some movement, or you told a story. Okay, now talk about it. Have a conversation about who sang that song. You know, just like throw it out there. It's in the universe. Who sang that song? You might get the right answer. You might not. Now you can discuss things, conversations, again, in the moment, but memory flashes sometimes come to the top at the least expected moments. A painting can tell a story and they can use that painting to tell you a story. And sometimes the most amazing things come out and sometimes the most strange things come out, but we're not going to judge that. We're going to use it as part of a tool to interact and to engage. So there's a difference between arts engagement and just arts activities. No, I totally, totally agree with you on that. Well, this has just been a fabulous conversation, Mary. Thank you for the work that you do um, in sharing this with us. I I would really encourage people to get your book, The Planet Alzheimer's Guide. This just sounds absolutely marvelous. And anybody can adapt and, and find something within this book to be able to go ahead and try. The book actually will be released today, the 21st of September on World Alzheimer's Day on Amazon.com. And if they want to contact me, and uh, I will be happy to answer any of your questions that might have come up during this path, during this time of our conversation. And yeah, it's eight ways the arts can transform the life of your loved one and your own. That's the subtitle. But I think that's an important thing. You will also, as well as your loved one, who you're caring for, will also benefit from bringing the arts into your life. Wonderful. Now, uh, one final question I have for you, as far as workshops and things like that, are those strictly in person or have you converted anything, uh, you know, online? I know that makes it a little more difficult to say the least. (laughs) Right. Um, I've not converted them yet to online. That is certainly a possibility. But um, as I begin to do that, I will share that. I do like in person. But then again, when you're online, as you know, you can bring in people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll be working on that. And with my podcast, it'll be also on Anchor, which will be starting soon. There's some interaction that can be done through that as well. You can do this. I'll show you how. And if you have any questions about what what you read and you see, Uh, through any of my sources where I'm expressing um, this information and this guide through you, I'm I'm there for you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And for our listeners, you know, please like, click and share this. Don't keep all these nuggets to yourself. That's why we have these conversations is so that they're easily shareable. Thank you again, Mary. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.